Uh, please turn in your Bibles to um, Psalm 104. We are going to be using our Bibles pretty extensively this morning, and so if you uh, would like to follow along and you didn't bring a Bible with you, there should be one in the um, in a pew, and and we would be on page 691 in that Bible. Uh, it really enriches your experience if you follow along in the Bible. Uh, you both are hearing and then seeing um, the Word of God, and it, it actually is, is very enriching for you. Before we go there, though, I'd like to mention a few things. Number one, um, I, I, I thank you all for the uh, meals. Uh, on behalf of Dave and Mary, thank you for all the meals that you sent, and uh, thank you for helping them in that way. Um, Mary is still... Mary is recovering and she's starting to feel better, although she still has an ongoing medical uh, concern that, that is being uh, investigated. But I've never seen her more tired and exhausted and wrung out in her life, and I think she's still at a dangerous place. So again, thank you so much for your support. And, and David had to take all of last week off for work. He's going back to work, I'm, I would imagine, this week. Please continue to pray for them. Secondly, you'll see the bulletin announcement in the bulletin about uh, prayer meeting tonight. And I just wanted to highlight that um, that is just such a desperate. Uh, just a second, I think this thing is loose. I think there's a short in this wire. There's, uh, I think that's a desperate. I become more and more desperate that churches are praying, that churches are gathering to pray. As the world gets weirder and weirder, as our cultural leaders are becoming more and more foolish, as things are darkening around us, I'm just so desperately hoping that there are churches all around this world that are gathering together and praying. And so tonight, we're going to do our part. So if at all possible, please make an effort to be here tonight for prayer meeting. Finally, I'd like to really thank you all very much for the five-week sabbatical that you gave me. I very much appreciate it. People have been asking if I feel rested, and I, have, I do feel rested, and I'm very thankful for that. Sometimes you don't even realize how uh, much you needed rest until you're forced to. Um, but uh, I really have my biggest takeaway from this sabbatical, though, uh, besides having a lot of time for prayer and meditation and reading and and such was um, how uniquely gifted and blessed we are here as a church. Um, I attended here every Sunday, except when we were on vacation, and we had really excellent preaching. I'm very thankful to Scott, uh, to Chris, to Dan, to Matt, to Tyler. Um, they, they brought really good, I was fed spiritually here, and I'm very thankful for that. Um, I'm very thankful for Bill and for Jeff and for the Sunday school class on evangelism that they did. Uh, that was really good. I'm thankful for Jonathan and the others who taught Bible study uh, during that time. And, and to be honest with you, I've just listed, what, uh, seven or eight godly gifted men who can teach the Bible accurately and well. In a small church like this, that's an incredibly high percentage. And I'm just very thankful. Uh, I was just very, very thankful and blessed to be a part of this assembly. So thank you very much for that time and looking forward to the fall. Uh, today I'm not preaching on the book of Matthew, but we will continue to finish the book of Matthew. And then, um, Lord willing, this fall we're going to be studying the book of Ephesians in the morning and Revelation at night and looking forward to, uh, to doing that, those teaching times as well. Let's follow, follow along with me as I read Psalm 104. We're going to be focusing today on 
the fact that God is everywhere in, in caring for his creation and loving his creation. He's active. And, and I want you to kind of sense this as you read Psalm 104. Watch for it, because that's what this psalm is about. Psalm 104, bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty, who cover yourself with light as with a garment, who stretch out the heavens like a curtain. He lays the beams of his upper chambers in the waters, who makes the clouds his chariot, who walks in the wings of the wind, who makes his angel spirits and his, spirit, his ministers a flame of fire. You who laid the foundations of the earth so that it should not be moved forever, you covered it with deep, as with the deep as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains, at your rebuke they fled. At the voice of your thunder they hastened away. They went up over the mountains and they went down into the valleys to the place where you founded for them, which you founded for them. You have set a boundary over that they a boundary that they may not pass over, that they may not return to cover the earth. He sends the springs into the valleys, they flow among the hills, they give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. By them the birds of the heavens have their home. They sing among the branches. He waters the hills from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your works. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the service of man, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine that makes glad the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread which strengthens man's heart. The trees of the Lord are full of sap, the cedars of Lebanon which he planted where the birds make their nests. The stork has her home in the fir trees. The high hills are for the wild goats and the cliffs are a refuge for the rock badgers. He appointed the moon for seasons. The sun knows it's going down. He may, you make darkness and it is night in which all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar after their prey and seek their food from God. When the sun rises, they gather together and lie down in their dens, and man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. O oh Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. This great and wide sea in which are innumerable teeming things, living things both small and great, there the ships sail about, and there is that Leviathan which you, have, which you have made to play there. All These all wait for you, that you may give them their food in due season. What you give them, they gather in. You open your hand, and they are filled with good. You hide your face, and they are troubled. You take away their breath, and they die and return to their dust. You send forth your spirit, and they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He looks on the earth and it trembles. He touches the hills and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. May my meditation be sweet to him. I will be glad in the Lord. May sinners be consumed from the earth and the wicked no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. 
O oh, our great God and Father, the eternal and everlasting one, we ask that you will please be with us now. For we seek at this hour you. We seek to understand you. Oh, Father, have mercy upon us because we're so limited and fragile and our minds are so finite and small. But you and your word and your truth will expand them. We pray that you will expand our minds. We pray that you'll expand our hearts. We pray that you'll deepen our faith. And we pray that we will just come as we come to know you to then live out the implications of that in our lives. Give us grace now, we pray. Help us as we seek you. We're drawing near to you. Draw near to us, we pray. Teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Much of the message of the Bible, or God's message to us, is to help to convince and to grow our small, finite minds, like I just prayed, that we might come to expand and understand how immense, how marvelous, how wonderful, and today, how capable God is. God is infinitely capable. Beyond our comprehension, we cannot even comprehend, but we're going we're gonna to try to grow in our comprehension of how capable, how wonderful God is. And I hope that you're going to find that this is going to be life-transforming for you, that as we grow to grasp, once again, a little bit better how God, who God is, that it actually changes the way we deal with our life. So today, we're going to look at one aspect of who God is in the theological landscape with all these mountains of justification and redemption and God's omniscience and all of that. We're going to look at the mountain that's called God's providence today. And of course, with any one doctrine of God, you always have all the other doctrines that are connected to them. And so we'll be looking at God's omniscience, his knowing everything, and its omnipresence. God always is here. We're going to look at his omnipotence. God's power is there. But we're going to look today at, at, at providence. And what I want to do is kind of focus on this doctrine and, and narrow that focus to some very wonderful aspects to it. And then we're going to step back and we're going to say, okay, what are the implications what implications for my life should this doctrine have for me? Now, the Bible teaches that God created everything. God is creator. We just read it in Psalm 104. God is the one who has created. But God's creation is not like the deists say. Deism teaches that God is created like winding up a clock. And then God sets the clock down, and then from that moment on, the inner dynamics of the clock make the clock work, and God doesn't even have to touch it. He can just look every once in a while, and that's it. He doesn't have to touch it. That is not what the Bible teaches happened. God created with this wonderful act of creation where he creates out of nothing, but then God in his providence is constantly caring for, directing, guiding, blessing, uh, providing for. God is hands-on with his creation in infinite ways that, that, that just blow our minds, actually. And so you can almost think of it like this. Creation is kind of like a baby. When, when a baby comes into a home, a, a, a child, then all of the attention of the parents in many ways is to sustaining and feeding and protecting and keeping warm and, and watching over and nurturing and providing for that baby. And so God is that active in his earth. And that's what I want you to see. We have uh, Louis Burkhoff in his systematic theology gave a, a definition of providence. And here we've put it on the screen for you. It says this. He said, I'm reading actually out of the book here, providence may be defined as, and this is the quote, 
that continued exercise of the divine energy whereby the creator preserves all his creatures is operative in all that comes to pass in the world and directs all things to their appointed end. Now look at that. God, there's this continual dynamic divine energy of God preserving He's operating in everything that comes to pass in the world, and he's directing it all to his appointed end. The Bible speaks of this, for instance, in Hebrews chapter 1 in verse 3, when describing the Lord Jesus Christ, it says this, who being the brightness of his, the Father's glory, and the express image of his person, it's this phrase I wanted to point to, and upholding all things by the word of his power. See that right there in the middle? And upholding, that's divine providence, upholding all things by the word of his power. God is constantly at work in his creation, constantly in touch, constantly involved, constantly doing things, upholding and preserving. That's the doctrine of God's providence. Now let's look at this as it's described in the Bible. Stay, uh, keep yourself marked there in Psalm 104, but turn with me to the book of Acts. Turn to me with the book of Acts. And we're going to kind of do this almost like a, a, a target. We're going to start out with the wide circles, then we're going to narrow and narrow and narrow as we focus in. We're going to begin with the book of Acts in Acts chapter 14. In Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas go to a town of Lystra, and a man is healed. They heal a man there. And Lystra is a Greek town, and it is a town of uh, polytheism. They have lots of different gods. And when they see this man get healed, they call Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes, two of their gods. And they start bringing out oxen. They start bringing out flowers. They're going to have a celebration because two gods have just showed up in their town. And Paul and Barnabas kind of freak out about this. And in verse 14, it says this. And when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things. Now notice this. They're going to give them the, some, some theology now. To the living God. There is one living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all things that are in them. This God, and this is again right out of Psalm 104 as it were. This God is created. He's the living God. There's one God. He's the living God and he created everything that exists in every place ever he's created them. Verse 16, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. He's a sovereign God. He rules over the nations. But notice verse 17. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness. All these nations knew that there was a God in that he did good. Now, this is something you need to realize about God because we're going to bounce back to this quite a bit. God is good, okay? If you could put it this way, God's DNA, God's, God's very nature, the, the nature of who God is, is God is good. God is good. That's why he's so generous. That's why he does kind things. That's why the sun always rises. That's why sunsets are beautiful. That's why sun, God is good. God is good. And so notice what he's saying here. He said, God left this witness that he is good. Now, how did he leave that witness that he's good? There's a God and he's good. How do you know that, Paul says? And notice what he says. He gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, 
filling our hearts with food and gladness. When you drive down the road and you see these huge stocks of corn right now, and you see these very lush soybean fields, and you see all of these apples that are on these trees now, and you see my, I have a pear tree in my yard just bursting with pears. All of that is saying there is a God and he is good and he's being really nice to us and he loves us and he cares for us. And then the rain comes down and, it, and, it, and, these, and these crops burst up and these flowers are growing. There is a God. He's good. He's out there. And he gave witness. And this is the witness of who he is. That's what Paul was saying here. Now flip over two more verse, two more chapters, uh, three more chapters to chapter 17. Once again, Paul is in the midst of a pagan Greek uh, the, uh, uh, polytheistic culture, and notice what he says to the Greeks there in Athens. It says in verse 22, Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious, for as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. So here we go. I, I see all your minor, minor league gods. I'm going to tell you about the major league God, the big God, the God, the main God. The one and only true God. Now, notice he says the exact same thing he said in Lystra, in one sense. God, who made the earth and everything in it. That's where we begin. God is creator. God made everything. There is a God. He's creator. He made everything. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples with, and made with hands. He's huge. He's immense. You can't put him in a temple. It's like trying to put a blue whale into a little goldfish bowl. Won't even work. You can't put God into a little temple. Nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything. Now check this out. Since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. There's providence of God. There is an active God who is constantly moving and creating and working. He gives to all life. He gives to all breath. He gives to all, all things. Notice what he says there. He gives to all, all things. We all have shoes on today. At least most of us do. I know Tino doesn't and, uh, Gray and Iva don't. But there's some others. Most of us have shoes on. Why? Because God gave us all shoes. We all have clothes on. Why? Because God gave us clothes. We drove cars here today. Why? Because according to this verse, God gave us cars. We have jobs. Why? Because according to this verse, God gave them to us. We have life. Why? Because God gave it to us. We have breath. Why? Because God gave it to us. We have family. Why? Because God gave it to us. You're sitting here with children today or grandchildren. Why? Because God gave them to you. You have health today. Why? Because God gave it to you. God has given you all things, everything Paul's saying. No, he goes on to say this, verse 26. And he made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwellings. This God is sovereign. He rules over everything. Where nations go, where they live, the ethnicities that are out there and have developed. He's done all of that. Look at verse 27, but why? So that they would seek the Lord in hope that they might grope for him and find him. And so God has, has gotten these nations. He's done good to them. He's provided food. For them. He's kept a witness for himself that they would grope for him and find him. And see, this is the word is like when you're in, at night and it's dark and you're trying to find a light switch or you're trying, where's that pulpit? Where's that pulpit? I can't find that pulpit anywhere. Where is it? Because notice the next phrase that he says here. He says, 
in hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. He's not far. Where is that pulpit? Where I can't find that. Where is it? He's not far from each of us. Why? Why? How do we know that? Look at verse 28, amazing verse. For in him we live and move and have our being. As also some of your own prophets have said, we are also his offspring. We live and move and have our being in God. God is everywhere. God is active. God is moving. God is doing things. God is alive all around us. And, 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 and he should be pretty easy to find as we're groping for him. Because he's everywhere actively at work. And that's the doctrine of, of God's providence. God is doing things and he's moving and he's active. Go back to Psalm 104. Go back to Psalm 104. Again, look at what it says in verse 13. He waters the hills from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of his works. He causes the grass to grow. God causes grass to grow. Why does grass grow? God causes it to grow. That's what the Bible teaches. Vegetation for the service of man. He brings forth food from the earth and wine that makes glad. God blesses us with all of these things. Verse 16, the trees of God are full of sap. The birds live in the trees of God. God brings the water. God, verse 19, appoints the moon. Look at verse 21. The young lions roar for their prey, and they seek their food from God. God feeds all of the lions, okay? God is there. God is moving. God is at work. Look at verse 27. All of these wait for him. You have made them for their, their food in due season. Who's making their food in their due season? Who's feeding everybody and all of us and giving us wine and bread to, to make us happy and oil to make our face? And God is. That what you give them, they gather in. You open your hand and they are filled with good. And if you don't open your hand, if you hide your face, they die. Everything that goes on in this world goes on because God is, going, is doing it. Now, that's the doctrine of divine providence. Now, you say, but wait a minute, Todd. There's cause and effect. There's reasons why things happen. Yes, God does not, God in, 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 in creation, God created ex nihilo, it's called. It's, it's Latin, out of nothing. God just said a word. God didn't even have tools. He didn't, he didn't have uh, materials to create. He said the word. In God's providence, God works according to the things that he has established and set in place. So, for instance, God sends rain, the Bible says. God sends rain. How does God send rain? Well, it's not there's a, this super sunny day, not a cloud in the sky, and all of a sudden, ex nihilo, God says, let there be rain, and rain falls down. That's not how God works in his providence. In his providence, God has now created a world, and in this world there's humidity, and there's, there's temperature change, and these clouds get filled with humidity, and then all of a sudden they crash into a cold front that comes in, and then the condensation, like around your glass when it has cold fluid in it on a humid day, the condensation forms, and God brings down rain. And you say, yeah, but that all sounds so mechanistic. And, and you have been taught, you have been trained by secularists in your high school science classes that it is all mechanistic, and that's all that it is. It's all mechanistic. Well, if that were the case, then how do you explain what a terrible job most meteorologists do? 
You've, you've, you've lived through this summer, haven't you? Oh, can't have a picnic. It's going to rain. Cancel the picnic. Never rains. Oh, we can have the picnic today. No rain. Have the picnic. Why? We've got all this science. We, we understand the mechanism. We, we can check all of the temperatures and all of the dew factors, and we know exactly the way. Why? Why? What's going on here? What's going on? I'll tell you what's going on here. It's a mystery. How it all pulls together. When or, where that cold front came from. Why we suddenly had this cell develop. All of this. That is this, because the sovereign providence of God as the first cause is back there moving and working among the secondary causes. You're flying through space right now. Do you know that? You're flying through space right now. On a globe that is flying through space and spinning at the same time. And you are sitting here in this chair, but you're flying through space, spinning. Why are we not flying all over the place and being thrown off of this planet? Because of something called gravity. What is gravity? A force that's holding us down here. What is that force? Where did it come from? We don't have a clue. The top scientists in the world will tell you this. We don't really know. What is the force that's holding electrons into it? We're not quite sure. We call it the atomic force. We can harness it a little bit, but we're not quite sure. You see, dear friends, in the midst of the second causes, warm fronts, cold fronts, and such, there is a first cause that is moving and directing and guiding everything. You say, how can you be so sure that with all these scientists out here telling us it's just one mechanistic system? Well, number one, they fail all the time in, the, in their prognostications about it. And number two... I have a, somebody better than the scientists I've gotten some information from. He's the very son of God. And he dwelt for all of eternity, and through him all things were created. And then he left his throne, and he came here to earth, and he started telling us some realities of what was going on. Turn to Luke 12, and you'll hear some of these realities. It's amazing stuff of the providence of God. And what Jesus reveals to us is this, that God is a infinite, super in touch, super involved, super aware on the daily day issues of his creation. That's providence. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 6, Jesus makes this statement. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? Now, what is that all about? No, it's weird, but it's, this is what it's about. Um, if you've been to third world countries, you know this. For instance, one of the biggest exporters that we have to China, the thing we export to, and I know this because I got it right from the source's mouth. There was a man in my church in Virginia, and he raised chickens, and he raised about 60,000 chickens a year. And... Uh, the feet get cut off and sent to China. Why? Because chicken feet is a delicacy in China. You cook them, you broil them, you cook them, you eat them. They're crunchy and they're good, kind of like Cheez-Its maybe. I don't know, Cheez-Its or something like that. But you eat chicken feet. You eat chicken feet. Well, in Jesus' day, they captured small little birds, what we would call sparrows, small little birds, and then you could buy them. And they kill them, and they pluck them, and they roasted them, and they were on these little sticks, and you could eat them. And, and it was a meal that uh, very poor people could eat because these are these two copper coins. These Assyrians are very, very uh, almost, they're cheap, in other words. Jesus says, now, are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? But notice the next line. 
and not one of them is forgotten before God. In Matthew, Jesus says this, not one sparrow falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But listen to this, not one of them is forgotten before. What does that mean? And not one of them is forgotten before God. You see those, those sparrows right there that in that cage, and they're going to reach in, grab them, get their neck, pluck them, fry them over the fire. People are going to buy them and eat them. God knows every one of them. They're special to him. How can I illustrate this? I like sardines. I like anchovies. I like sardines. I like that can. I break open a can of sardines, and there they're all laying there. Uh, if they're the big ones, their heads are off. If they're the little guys, their heads are still on them. There they all are laying there. What Jesus is saying is this. In every can of sardines, there are these fish. God knows every one of them. God brought them into existence. When they were little eggs, God protected them. And then when they became little fries and they were, they were swimming around the ocean, God watched over them. God was with them. God blessed them. If you could put it this way, God knows their names. He knows each one of those sardines. He could tell you each one of their stories. What is that saying? That is saying that God is incredibly in touch with the minutest details of his creation. Look at the next line. Look at what Jesus says next. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. The very hairs of your head are all numbered. Numbered by who? Numbered by God. Every single human being of the seven billion human beings that are on this earth right now, God knows the exact number of hairs that is upon the head of every single one of them. A little baby that is born and has hair on his head, and not the bald ones, but the, the ones that have hair, God knows how many hairs. The, the middle-aged men in, in Australia and a middle-aged man in, in Zambia and a middle-aged man, God knows exactly how many hairs are on their head. An elderly woman in China, God knows exactly how many hairs are on her head. God knows the exact number. And that's a constantly changing number. Just look at your brush. It's a constantly changing number. But God knows that changing number. God is super incredibly involved and in touch with his creation. Every aspect of it. Every little sardine. Every little bird. Every little person with hair. Every human being with hair. God knows exactly. God is super in touch. Super involved with his, with his creation. Now notice how Jesus applies this. Look at verse 22. And he said to his disciples, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. Consider the birds. They don't sow or reap. They're little birds. They have no hands. They only have wings. They have beaks. They can't plow the land. They can't put seed in it. They can't sow. They can't thresh it. They can't build barns. All they, even when they're on the ground, all they can do is jump. They can fly, which is amazing, but that's all that they can do. Why are these birds alive? Why are they healthy? Why are they happy? Why are they singing? Because God feeds every one of them. 
in the providence of God, in the omniscience of God, in the omnipresence of God, in the omnipotence of God, God is able to sue so super overintend his creation that he guides every single bird. He guides this bird to a worm. He guides this bird because it eats, it eats bugs to, 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 to certain bugs. He, he guides this bird to seeds. He guides this bird to nectars and that bird to worm and this bird to seed and that bird to nectar. All around the entire world, all of the time, God is constantly guiding, directing, directing, feeding, directing the life and the pattern of these birds. Yesterday, I was sitting out and going over the sermon, meditating on it, and Jan came out, and she sat beside me, and she said, what are you preaching? I said, you see that butterfly? God is directing its flight path. God is actively right now directing the flight path of that butterfly to where it should land. That's what I'm preaching on. He goes on to say this. Look at verse 27. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And then Paul, Jesus goes on to say this. The very son of God is telling us about his father. If then God so clothes the grass, which is today in the field and tomorrow is thrown into heaven, into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? This God is incredibly capable. This God is out working and doing these marvelous things. Each flower is a masterpiece of beauty and, and, and what God has done. Each one of them is a rare, exquisite art that God has made. God is involved. God is at work. God is doing things. And this is what the Bible teaches. The Bible we live in is being constantly cared for, preserved by, and blessed by God. Everywhere, God is at work. Everywhere, God is moving. Ever, God is the infinite multitasker. God is the infinitely capable multitasker who's getting things done and doing things. God is minutely in control of everything. There is nothing insignificant to God. And that's because God is an infinite, super intelligent, super aware, super capable being. More than we can even, even imagine. And that's what Jesus is trying to help us to see. So what is the implication of this? What are the implications that we should draw from this? Well, I'm, only gonna, I'm gonna give you four, and I want you to just, I'm, I can only kind of touch on them. And I'd like you to take them and spend time meditating on this and, and thinking about this and, and, and applying this to yourself. And I'm even gonna give you some helps in terms of how to do that. Well, of course, the first one, Jesus makes patently clear for us in Matthew chapter, in Luke chapter 12. We don't have ever have a need to worry, ever about anything look at verse 22 and then he said to his disciples therefore i say to you do not worry about your life or about your body stop worrying verse 28 if god so closed the grass of the field he says well he's going to take care of you verse 29 don't seek what you should eat or what you should have or uh, uh, what you should eat or what you should drink nor have an anxious mind for all these things the nations of the world seek after and your father knows that you need these things. He knows about these little sparrows that, that, that sell for five for two little pennies. He knows what you need. Seek the kingdom. Verse 32, don't fear. It's God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God's going to take care of you. Stop worrying. Well, you know, dear friends, people have probably said this to you many times. Stop worrying. Stop worrying. Stop worrying. And you know what's hard to do? It's hard to stop worrying. In fact, try to stop worrying and you won't do it. 
You know why? You'll keep worrying. You'll find stuff to worry about. Stop worrying. Stop worrying. You know, I need to stop worrying. I need to stop worrying. Just, if, you, if that's all you do, stop worrying. Okay, I'll try to stop worrying. That'd be like saying somebody stop breathing. That's not how you stop worrying. But just, okay, I need to stop worrying. How you stop worrying, the remedy against worrying is to know God, is to begin to see and have expanded in your heart and in your mind how big God actually is. And start to see him feeding the birds. You see, when Jesus saw birds being fed, saw birds pulling worms out of the ground, saw birds on flowers eating the seeds, saw birds swooping through the air and grabbing an insect, Jesus saw God at work. God is moving. God, God just did that. God, God let, directed him there. When Jesus saw flowers, he saw God. God taking all of this exquisite artistic talent and pouring it out on this little flower that's going to dry up in weeks. Jesus saw God in work and all these things. And he, and he concluded for us all, stop worrying. God's in everything. He's a multitasker. He's there. In him we live and move and have our being. He's all around us. This isn't pantheism. Pantheism says God is in the tree, so the tree is God. That's pantheism. This isn't it. But it is that God is moving. God is working. Leaves are coming forth. Fruit is being born because God, a good God, is actively moving and working and causing these things to happen. And if God were to stop doing it, it would all shrivel up and die at once. And once you begin to see God doing that and you begin to see God everywhere, you start worrying a whole lot less. Or you say, hey, God, I got this problem, but I'm seeing you feed all these birds and clothing all these flowers. And I'm seeing, I'm sure you could take care of this. You know how many hairs are upon my head. You even know I have this problem. I'm sure you can take care of this. I'm totally confident you can take care of this. I know you're here. I know you're in my life. I know you're here. This is yours. Take it. I'm not, I'm not even going to think about it everyone. That's how you stop worrying. And that's one of the things that we should do. Apply that to yourself. Meditate on who God is and then stop worrying. Secondly. Trials, kind of connected with this one. Trials, we know trials, Dan preached on this recently. We know trials have been brought into our lives by God to do something in our, our lives, to strengthen us, to bless us with something. James says, count it all joy when these trials come in because trials produce patient endurance. They produce all of these things. Trials, Peter tells us, strengthen our faith, which is more precious than gold. We know that trials have purposes and meaning for that. And what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to say when a trial comes, even though we're human, we don't want that trial, Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, that we, we, I get all that. But there's also a part of us that's supposed to say, God's got something in this for me. God's going to do something for me in this. God's going to, I'm going to know God better. I'm going to experience Christ more. This is, this is good. What I want to add to that in this application at this sermon is this. Not only trials, but inconveniences, smallest irritations, difficulties. God is in the small stuff too. If he knows these sparrows he knows them personally, these sparrows that are about to be eaten. If he knows each sardine as almost a pet, God certainly, certainly is in control and able to take the small inconveniences even of your life 
and use them for good. God's in this. William Carey, the great missionary, was writing to some other missionaries as they were getting started, and he wrote these words. He said this, experience has taught us that God's ways are best. He was talking about trials and difficulties for the missionary life. And that our little plans are often frustrated in great mercy. God is doing something. Dear friends, trust God. Even in the small little irritations, God is in it. Wait to see what God is doing, what God is doing. Thirdly, the third implication, I would say this. Given the fact that this is all true, we're called and we should live a life of joy. Live a life of joy. In John 15, 11, Jesus said this. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. I've been meditating a lot recently on Jesus' earthly life. What would it be like to be Jesus on earth? Jesus' earthly life. And one of the things that I've concluded is Jesus had great joy. We may not think of this a lot, but Jesus' life had to have been marked by joy. Think of it. Jesus knew his father. He had a closeness with his father. He prayed and delighted in his father. Jesus loved God with all of his heart, all of his soul, all of his strength. Jesus had that relationship with God. The relationship we all aspire and are growing to have, Jesus had that in fullness. And, And I don't know about you, but I know for myself, and I'm sure for you, If you have had times in your life where you, maybe you're having your devotions, maybe it's during a time here of worship, and all of a sudden God seemed real close and real near, and you were delighting in God, and you you loved God, and you you were so thankful for God. One of the, the things that quickly comes right in there at that time is joy. You're just like, you're so joyful. You feel happy. You feel light. You feel, you feel, oh, I just love God. Well, Jesus also loved his neighbor as himself. He was genuinely concerned for people. He genuinely loved people. And do you find that when you love people, you, they bring much joy? You have joy when you love people? But when you're focusing on their irritations or their, their, their shortcomings or, or you're mad at them or you're bitter with them, all your joy drains away. But when you love them, you're joyful even when they're irritating. You're still joyful. I've got grandkids who irritate me at times and break stuff and do stuff like that and mess up things in, in Todd and Jan's nice little organized home. Then they come in like a hurricane and, 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 and such. But I don't care. I mean, they're still in the midst of all of that frustration. There's joy. I find that when I'm walking with God, I'm filled with the Spirit, I'm walking in the power of the Spirit, I'm more joyful because I love people. I'm driving down the road, and some knucklehead cuts me off. I'm like, that knucklehead, he cut me off. Oh, hopefully it's a medical emergency or something's going on. God bless him. But when I'm not walking in the spirit, I'm like, yeah, idiot. Oh, my joy's gone. Jesus had joy. And I think one of the joys that Jesus had was, like I said earlier, is he saw God everywhere. He knew that in him we live and move and have our being. He was very aware. By faith, through the eyes of faith, Jesus saw God everywhere. And he delighted in what he saw. Oh, that bird got fed. Look at this beautiful flower. And he loved these things. And he saw that God was watching over him. And God was here. He was very conscious of God. And that brought him joy. Dear ones, take this providence of God to heart and and, and seek joy. Finally, The final implication is this. This should lead us to a life of praise. Listen to Psalm 104, 33. 
At the end of this beautiful psalm, the psalmist writes this. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. He's been talking about God's creation, God's providence, how God's feeding all the animals. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. May my meditation be sweet to him. I will be glad in the Lord. We should live a life of praise, a life of glorifying God. Let me give you an assignment. I don't do this much. I don't want to bind your conscience. If you don't do it, say, ah, Todd's, you know, he, he has no right to bind my conscience. Stand on your Christian liberty. But let me encourage you to try something. I'll tell you my experience, and I'll tell you what my thing is. I was sitting on my, on my front porch, and on my front porch, I have a clematis plant, two clematis plants. I inherited them. They were lubagakis. They're beautiful clematis plants, and they're there, and they, they come, and then they, they flower on my front porch. And on my front porch, I sit there a lot. I absolutely love my front porch. I read there a lot. I pray there a lot. Jan and I sit there a lot and talk a lot. We love our front porch. Last week, I was sitting on my front porch, and I looked over, and I picked one of those clematis flowers, and I looked at it. I just looked at it. Now, I've, I, this is my second summer in that front porch now. I looked at it. And this is what I saw, by the way. Now, that's not giving you a very clear image, but this is exactly what I saw. I saw this amazing, beautiful flower with these white little images all the way around on the inside, and then these, these things that were sticking out of it. I was absolutely stunned. There were two, there were different colors. I was absolutely stunned. And at that point, my heart then leapt with joy and praised to God for what he has done. And I realized these masterpieces of artwork have been hanging here and I never stopped and paid attention to them. Here's what I want to encourage you to do because I have been doing this over the last few years of my life. Go through your yard and pick every one. Don't do it all at once. Just next time, pick that one. Pick a flower and study it. That's what Jesus says. The word to consider the lilies of the field means to study. Study it. Look at it. Look at the blending of colors. Look at what God has done. And give praise and worship to him. God has made masterpieces all around here of artwork. I don't want to embarrass you, Lynn, but Lynn Hatton sitting here showed me a picture once of a gun that he made, and I was stunned at the, at the ability of what he had done in making this hunting rifle. I was stunned, and I was, I, I was singing forth his praises. I went home, and I told Dan, and I told Tyler, I said, you wouldn't believe the gun that this man made. Dear friends, God has these masterpieces everywhere. When a sunbeam comes through the dark forest, and brightens up the leaves, and the shaft of light lands upon the bark of a tree. That is to the glory of God. It's a majestic thing that he has done. Give him the praise. When amazing cloud formations are forming and changing and moving all at once, give him glory, honor, and praise. Praise him. It is God at work. It's not a mechanistic thing. It is God producing beautiful work. Give him the praise and glory that he deserves. When you see lightning bugs glittering over a darkening field at night, give him praise and glory. Who comes up with the beautiful thing called a lightning bug? Who does this but our great God? 
When you see thunder and lightning, terrifying majesty of God, give him praise. When you see an American goldfinch with that yellow chest on a thistle bush, taking, give God glory and honor and praise. Dear friends, right now, driving down the road, there is chicory. That's those little blue flowers. They're everywhere. Chicory and daisies and wild flocks and asters and Queen Anne's lace all along the roads, all to the glory of God. God is at work. God is painting. God is planting. God is building study birds yes study birds but dear friends look in the face of your spouse look in the face of your children look in the face of your neighbors look in the face because every human being that God has created is an absolute wonder amazing thing a complicated complex organic being that God has made all to his glory and to his honor and give him praise and worship and glory this God who is everywhere and then you'll stop and you'll say and you're my father and you gave me your son and you washed all my sins with your blood and you've adopted me forever and I'm going to someday be in heaven and see you Oh, thank you, God, that you've opened my eyes to see and to experience and to know all of these things. And finally, the last implication I want to say is this. Let's have compassion. Let's have compassion on this sad generation of people. The generation of people who have been taught by Charles Darwin and their teachers and their culture that this world is here by chance it's a mechanized, a, a, a mechanized thing, and it has no meaning, and it will one day all perish, and we are meaningless, and all of it has no, no connection with God. There is no God. Oh, dear ones, let's have compassion on this sad generation. The loneliness, the futility, the emptiness, it's eating their souls. Their artwork has become perverted and twisted. Their music is dark. Their movies are dark. They're killing themselves. They're empty. This world that we live in is so is We need to have compassion upon these people and tell them the good news. Are there any here today? You're living apart from God, and what you've just heard today sounds beautiful to you. You wish that it were true. Oh, dear ones, it is true. Jesus Christ came. He is the Son of God. He rose from the dead. It is true. And now this great God is calling you to himself to have a relationship with the one who paints flowers, who cares for little sparrows, and who sent his son to die for sinners like you. Oh, come to him. Come running into the arms of this God. The invitation is yours now. It's open to you. Let's pray together. Father, in you we live and move and have our being. There's a very real sense that you were in this room, that you were in this world, that whenever we're driving, we're in you. Wherever we're walking, you're everywhere. You're at all places. You're doing amazing things. Oh, Father, open our eyes. Open our eyes to see you. And then, Father, open our eyes to trust you. Open our hearts to rest in you. Help us to stop worrying. Help us to give you praise. Help us to find joy, knowing you're so close, you're so near, you're at work. While we're sleeping at night, you're alive, you're awake, you're watching over us. Oh, Father, help us, we pray. You sent your Son to teach us these things. Help us, we pray. 
Thank you that you are a God who is so good. Thank you that you gave us Jesus. Thank you that you gave us your son. Thank you, Lord Jesus, creator of all things, the one through whom all things were created and for whom, that you came here, you washed our feet, you died on the cross, you rose again. Thank you. You give us everlasting life. We praise you and we thank you and we bless you. In your precious name we pray. Amen.